You are listening to a message from Treeline Church, a life-giving church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you are in the Pittsburgh region, we would love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out treeline.church for times and location. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. So we are in week two of our series called The Table. This was a series that we kicked off last week. And if you missed it, I highly encourage you to go online. You can go to the website or the podcast and you can listen to it there. And so we've been talking about the table and we've been talking about the table and how the table is wonderful when it's full, when the table is full of food and when the table is full of people. That's the best table to be around. And we've been talking about how the church is like a table, that the ministry that we are to experience, the things that come to the table, people being reconciled in the relationship with God, people being able to reconcile the relationships with one another, people finding freedom from their past, people finding new life in Christ, teenagers being able to come to Christ and know him and learn who he is, kids being able to experience the kids' ministry and connect to God at a young age. These are all things that we want to see at the table at the church, and we want to see the table filled with all different kinds of unlikely people coming around this table together. Last week, we talked about the table is meant to be full full. The table is meant to be full, and God wants people at this table because he wants people to be filled. So we want the table to be full of people. We want the table to be full of food, of ministry, of opportunities for people to connect with God. That's just something that we as a church want to do. And I don't know if you have ever experienced something like this before, but I was thinking about this one time. Years ago, we went to Chili's, the restaurant. Any Chili's fans in here? Some of you are like, Chili's, I'm, I'm, I'm in. Let's go. Well, I remember this was years ago. This is before we even had kids, so it was a long time ago. Uh, and we went with a couple of friends, and they, they did have one kid at that time. And the store, it was like getting late. They were getting towards closing time. Uh, it was just probably a random, you know, middle of the week type night. So just not a lot of people out. We were one of the only people in the restaurant. It was kind of slow. And, you know, there's just something different about when you're waiting for the food. When you have a hungry toddler, it's like time cannot go fast enough, right? It's just like the kid is hungry. Get the food out here now. We can can't wait any longer. So it was just one of those moments where it's like, you know, he's crying, he's hungry, we need to eat, what are we going to do? And the food's just taking forever. There's no one in here. And we're just kind of looking at each other like, man, where's the service? Like, there's no one in here. What's taking so long? Have you ever been in that experience? I mean, you kind of understand when the restaurant's busy, but when the restaurant's empty, you're like, what's going on in the kitchen? Like, where's everyone at? So we're sitting there and we're waiting. And while we're waiting, all of a sudden we hear the loudest crash you could imagine in this restaurant. Just this absolute just shatter, clash, clang, bang, boom, all together. It was like one of these really long, drawn-out ones too, right? And then all of a sudden, our friend looks at us, and you know what he says? He's like, I think that was our food. <laughs> and lo and behold, he was right because the manager and server come around the corner just moments later and they're like, we are so sorry. We dropped all of your food as we were bringing it out to serve you. And you're like, oh man, right? We just waited all that time and they just dropped all the food. But I'm pretty sure they had like some record-breaking pace back there because they got it put together pretty quick. Either that or they just like scraped it up off the ground and threw it back in the way. We wouldn't know, right? We're just like, here you go, at that point, we were so hungry, we would probably just went and eat it off the ground. We didn't care. But I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that, that it's just, you know, you're frustrated. It's just because sitting around an empty table is no fun, you know, and the appetizer only gets you so far. We're hungry, right? And so a full table is what we want to provide for people. 
And last week we talked about people deserving a seat at the table and how we may feel that we may not deserve a seat at the table. We actually introduced a story about a guy named Mephibosheth, which is kind of a tough name to say. And Mephibosheth is connected to a guy in the Bible named King David. Now, a lot of us know David of the fame of David and Goliath, right? David was the shepherd boy. He comes down, takes Goliath out, takes the giant out. And so what happened was at that time there was a different king. This was before David was the king. There's another guy named Saul. And so Saul was the king at that time. David was going to become king. God said, hey, this is my next guy. Saul did not like that. Matter of fact, he was very insecure about it to the point that he tried to kill David. But what happened? Exactly what God said would happen. David eventually became king. But then Saul's family were all killed in battle. And not only that, they were all gone. But now David wanted to say, hey, I want to honor Saul's family. I want to honor him. And who was the previous king? Is there no one left in his line that I can come and bring and I can show him honor. Pretty extreme for someone who was trying to chase you down and kill you, right? That he wants to honor his family. And so they find this one guy that's the only person they can find left from Saul's family, and his name is Mephibosheth. Now, Mephibosheth was Saul's grandson. His dad was a guy named Jonathan. Now, Jonathan and David were very close. They were very good friends. So he's like, David is so excited. He's like, go send, bring Mephibosheth in. I want to tell him that he can come sit at my table. And so he sends for him. We talked about this last week. And Mephibosheth's like, no, 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 no. I'm not worthy to come sit at the table. You've got the wrong guy. I don't deserve to sit here. And then he eventually David's like, no, you've got to come sit and be at my table. But here's what we didn't get into last week. You see, a little bit of Mephibosheth's backstory is that, see, when Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle and they were in war, they were about to be taken over as a nation, the opposing armies were going to kill all of Saul's family. That's what they would do. They would remove anyone of the lineage of the king at that time. They wanted no heirs to be left. And so Mephibosheth would have just been a baby at that time, the king's grandson. And so when the person, someone picked up Mephibosheth to take him and run and flee so that he would live so he wouldn't be killed. And something happened, we don't know exactly, but he was dropped in some way where both of his feet were crushed and he became lame for the rest of his life where he was crippled, he was disabled. And so now we're getting even a wider view of this picture of Mephibosheth who's saying, I'm not worthy. See, my family history's messed up. I've got things, I'm broken. I'm not a good person. You should probably find someone else who's not gonna slow things down. I'm just not worthy to sit at this table. See, we can be reminded that David said, oh yeah, you're going to sit at this table. And he sat there every single day with the king and ate at the king's table, but it didn't stop there. David also told Mephibosheth, you know what else I'm going to do? You're going to sit at this table and eat with me, but I'm also going to restore back to you everything that belonged to your family, the land, your inheritance, all those things. I'm going to give it back to you. Can you imagine Mephibosheth who grew up from a young age not knowing his father and his grandfather and who was crippled, who was in a very bad place, and then to come to a place where someone made a spot for him to sit at the table? Someone made a spot for him and then say, you know, not only are you going to sit here, I'm going to restore everything back to you. And see, that is the same thing that God does for us. We might not feel like we have a spot at the table, but he's saying, I've got a spot for you here. And see, the table is great when the table is full. And the table can only be full at our church if people give and give like crazy. 
And we dived into this last week, and I don't have time to get into all the details, but I would encourage you to listen to the message last week if you missed it. We dived in and talked about some different giving terms that we hear at church. We talked about offering. We talked about tithing. And just real quick, offering is something that when God moves in our heart some way, we see a need and we want to be generous and we give to it. That is something that is an offering. Then we talked about tithing, because in Malachi 3.10, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And we broke it down and talked about what the tithe is, that it's a math term. It means the 10th or 10% that God is challenging us. Also, it means the first fruits that God is challenging us or asking us as Christ followers to give the first 10th. And see, this is where sometimes it can start to rub people the wrong way. And it's like, ah, church is about money and it's about what is that? And it just makes me feel uncomfortable. And I kind of recoil when we start talking about it. And this is something that is encouraging to me because it's not just simply about what God can get from us. It's that he wants something for us. And matter of fact, he wants all that the best that he can give to us. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus is talking to some people and he says this, he said, you should tithe and you shouldn't leave the more important things undone either. He was talking to some people who were just going through the motions. Yeah, they were giving, but it wasn't for the right reasons. Their heart wasn't in the right place. And Jesus is saying, this is not just simply an exercise about giving. This is simply an exercise in trusting God with everything, putting him first in every aspect of your life. And so that's where we left off last week, and we talked about that. And this week, I want to kind of jump and talk about a few different things. And, and we talked about this guy named Paul before. And Paul was like the man back in like the New Testament times. And what he would do is that when churches were getting started, just like ours as a new church, what they would do is they would have questions. And so they would write Paul, or they'd bring Paul in, and he would kind of help them out. He would write them letters, and that's where we get a lot of the books of the Bible. These were the letters that he wrote back to these new churches so they could understand what it meant to follow out after God, what it meant to live a life for Jesus. And so we're going to read a couple of verses, and these might seem weird to you, but just give me a moment, we'll unpack them. And so in the book of Galatians, when he would have been writing a church at that time, helping them understand some things, he says this in Galatians 6.15. He says, circumcision doesn't mean a thing to me. The only thing that really matters is living by the transforming power of this wonderful new creation life. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, we're going to continue in Philippians 3, 2 through 3. He says this, Beware of those religious hypocrites who teach you that you should be circumcised to please God. For we have already experienced heart circumcision, and we worship God in the power and freedom of the Holy Spirit, not in laws and religious duties. We are those who boast in what Jesus Christ has done and not in what we can accomplish in our own strength. Some of you are like, Brian, you lost me. We were at the table, we were food, you were like chilies, and now we want circumcision? Like, where is this series going today? Like, say, what? Like, what is going on? Well, see, what you've got to understand, that in this time before Jesus came, the people who followed after God, there were these laws that they had to follow. There's like over 400 different laws that they had to follow to show that they were committed to God. And one of the things that God required all of those people who were following after him, he required all of the men to be circumcised to show that they were truly following after God. So when Jesus came, he came and changed everything. Jesus came to fulfill the law. And so many of the things that would happen in the Old Testament, the things that the law that they were required to do because Jesus came to save and change lives and became the ultimate sacrifice, they no longer had to do those things to show that they were following after God. But what happened was after Jesus came, 
People started surrendering their lives to him. People who weren't even Jews, they were Gentiles. People who were not of the Jewish culture were coming to God. And there were these people saying, you know what? Yeah, you've said yes to Jesus and you're following after him, but, you know, you probably need to get circumcised to show that you really are following after God. And Paul is saying here, hey, 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 no, no, no. You don't need to do that. It's not about the works that we can do anymore. Those people who are telling you you need to do that, they're, they're wrong. It's not about your works and what you've done. It is simply about what Jesus has done. And so when we begin to understand that and why we have to talk about that is sometimes we get so good at going to church and becoming professional Christians that we do the same thing to other people if we're not careful. We impose requirements that we put on them in order for them to come. Or we tell people that they've got to get cleaned up or act a certain way or deal with the things in their life before they can come to Jesus. Now, I've got a movie clip that I want to show you today, and I hope you're really excited about this. Any Pretty Woman fans out there? I mean, come on, 1990, romantic comedy. Come on, it doesn't get any better than this. And I promise you, you're going to want to like go find it and see if this is on Netflix after. This is just going to stir your appetite for some Julia Roberts. And just, it's, it's awesome. And so what I want to do is just take a moment real quick at this movie clip, and then we're going to talk about it. Take a look at this clip from Pretty Woman. Barney. It didn't fit. Oh, no, 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 no. I've got a little problem. All right, Miss Vivian, one more time. Dinner napkin. Dinner napkin laid gently in the lap. Good. Elbows off the table. Don't slouch. Shrimp fork. Salad fork. Dinner fork. I definitely have the salad fork. The rest of the silverware is a little confusing. All right, if you get nervous, just count the time. Four times dinner fork, and sometimes there are three times the salad fork. This way, Mr. Lewis, your party's waiting. Stop fidgeting. Mr. Morse. Yes, Mr. Lewis, I'm Jim Morse. This fireball is my grandson, David. I don't know about the fireball part, but grandson's true enough. Well, I'm pleased to meet you both. This is a friend of mine, Vivian Ward. Hi. Really glad Mr. to meet you. Morris, David. Hi. Please sit. Where are you going? I'm going to the ladies' room. <laughs> Upstairs to the right. Excuse me. Shall I order for you? Yeah. Please do so. Thank you. I'll do that. Mr. Lewis, my grandfather believes the men who create a company should control its destiny. Where's the salad? Uh, the salad comes at the end of the meal. That's the fork I knew. Let me uh, put it another way. Between your public statements and the rumors flying around on this thing, you find it very hard to figure out what your real intentions are. I don't know about you, but I've never been able to figure which goes with what. <laughs> you know, there was a time when we built ships the size of cities. Men like my grandfather made this country. Who ordered this? The gentleman did, ma'am. Bon appetit. These are escargot. It's French for snails. It's a delicacy. Try it. 
David? Mr. Lewis, if you were to get control, and I don't think you will, but if you did, what do you plan to do with the company? Break it up and sell off the pieces. I'm sure you understand I'm not thrilled at the idea of your turning 40 years of my work into your garage sale. At the price I'm paying for this stock, Mr. Morse, you are going to be a very rich man. I'm rich enough. I just want to have my shipyard. Slippery little suckers. It happens all the time. I met your father. What's his name? Carter. Yeah, Carter. Carter Lewis. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Does that take some memories back for you, watching that way back in the 90s? Um, but something that's funny about that when we watch that is many times that can become our experience for those who maybe have never been to church before, feel like there's a dress code or there's a cover charge or feeling like there's certain things and traditions that you've got to do. And so for me, when I grew up, I grew up Protestant, so I grew up in a non-denominational church. And so we had our own traditions and things that we would do, and I was comfortable with those because that's what I knew, it's what I experienced. And so I had some friends of mine that were Catholic, and I didn't grow up in the Catholic Church, so I wasn't familiar with those traditions. And I remember it wasn't until I was actually in college that I got to experience a Catholic wedding, a traditional one, for the first time. And I went, and I had no idea what to do. But it seemed like everyone else knew what to do, like knew when to sit, when to stand, when to kneel. I didn't even know what the little pads were on the front of the pews. That you, were, I didn't know that those kicked down when you kneel. I had no clue. I was clueless. And then people would like repeat things at certain times, and I'm like, do we repeat now or do we repeat after? I, had, I was clueless. I had no idea what was going on. And see, traditions are not bad, right? There's nothing wrong with traditions. Matter of fact, for insiders or for family, traditions can be a great thing. They can be a powerful way to celebrate things. The problem becomes is when things or traditions we do become a barrier, become an obstacle for people to experience God at work. And so our goal as a church is not to build hurdles or make obstacles for people to come. Our sole purpose as a church, instead of being a blockade or creating obstacles, we simply want to create a bigger table. We simply want to create a bigger table as a church, that we want to be able to have a place for people to come, that it's an invitation that's open, that there isn't a cover charge, there's no requirements or dress code, you don't have to know which fork to use, right? And because when you get used to it, you just know, but we want an opportunity for people who don't know, who have experience, who don't know the routines, who don't know the traditions, that they have an opportunity to come freely. Have you ever been invited to someone's house? Maybe it was a low-key gathering, and they were like, hey, we're getting together at six. Why don't you come by? And you're like, I don't know if I'm going to come or whatever. And then you decide to go, right? And you get there, and then what happens? There's no place for you to sit. That's like the introvert's greatest nightmare right there, by the way. I just described your hell for you, right? You're like, oh. But see, it's just no fun. Introvert, extrovert, you get there. There's no table setting for you. What do they do? Obviously, everyone, you know, the host goes around, tries to find another chair, right? We shuffle people around. They find somewhere for you to sit. And obviously, you would feel welcomed at that time, but there's a difference between that and knowing that they weren't prepared to receive you. See, we want to be prepared to receive people. 
We want a place that people can come and sit. And see, people will only partake of what's on the table if we have a place for them to sit. And there's only a place for people if we choose to give. And this is why our giving and our generosity is so important because we don't want to create boundaries or hurdles for people. We want to create a bigger table. See, here's the truth. We are either an obstacle or we're a conduit. And so what's the difference? If we're either an obstacle or we're a conduit, an obstacle is just saying there's a blockade. You can't get there. You can't experience God. You can't come to know the love of Christ. We don't want to be an obstacle for people. Matter of fact, we want to be a conduit. What does that mean? A conduit is a channel that delivers something. We make a way. We prepare the way. We make a path. We make it easy. There is no obstacles. There's no resistance. It's just simply a free way that people can come and experience who God is. And so we have to choose individually as a church and as individuals. Are we going to be an obstacle to people coming to know who God is? Are we going to be a conduit to help them experience the love of God? See, are people truly invited and welcomed? Are there no strings attached, no restrictions, no requirements, no demand? And we often say that we have good intentions and we, we say that people are welcome to come as they are. But when they come then and we come as they are, do we still kind of give them that sideways eye? Are we still trying to expect people to look a certain way and have their act together? Because Jesus said that he didn't come for those who already knew him, that those who were following after God. He didn't come for the well. Matter of fact, he said he came for the sick. And I think the Brian translation for that would be that Jesus came for the hot mess, right? He came for the people who don't have it together. He came for the ones who don't know and love him and haven't figured out what it means to follow after God. And so it's really important that we make sure that we make a way and that we're not an obstacle, but see, here's what happens many times is when we become Christ followers, when we've been following after a while and we understand that, yes, God transformed us, that he made us new. But if we're not careful, we can begin to think that we had something to do with it, right? And then because of that, we start putting the, we put, put things on other people and say, you know what, you've got to get this together. You, you, you've got to figure this out before you come to church. And then people will just have this perception that they've got to have it figured out. I was talking to someone once when we, right before we launched the church and I was inviting them to come, talking to them at Starbucks, inviting them to come and they knew that I was the pastor of the church and we were getting started, you know, invited them and they always would come and talk to me about it and they told me one time, they're like, I can't come. If I step foot in your church, it would burn to the ground because people have this perception that they have to have their act together, that they have to deal with all the junk and the mess in their life and their family history. Maybe they feel a little bit like Mephibosheth who's saying, I'm broken, I don't deserve a seat at this table. And God's saying, you know what? Bring it on. You're broken. This is the place. This is the table that I want you to sit out. See, friends, I don't think there is anything worse than causing those whom God loves to question whether God loves them. I'm reminded of the verse that at one point in the story of Jesus that he is out ministering and there are some kids that want to come to him. And the disciples think that they're doing a good job of crowd control. And they're like, sorry, kids, Jesus is busy. We don't have time for you right now. But if you see Jesus as a system, and I'm sure he'll schedule you in when he has a moment. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Just stop whatever's going on, whatever ministry we're doing. Don't stop these kids from coming to me. Don't be a blockade. Don't be a hindrance. Don't be an obstacle. Come to me. And he, and he tends, spends time, gets down on their level. And that's what we want to do as a church we don't want to be an obstacle to the next generation coming to know the love of God and experience that God loves them, that he has a plan for them, that he wants more than anything to be first in their life. 
See, we can be an obstacle or we can be a conduit. But what we've got to understand that it's not just about us. It's not about what we've done. It's about what Jesus has done for us. Take a look at this verse in John 3, 16. And this may be one of the most popular quoted scriptures. It's one you learned if you've been to VBS Sunday school. At some point, you probably learned and memorized this verse. But we're going to read verse 16 and then verse 17. Because I think this is something that people miss often. John 3, 16 says this, For this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only unique son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish but experience everlasting love. And that's usually where we stop, right, in verse 16. But 17, it continues and says this. God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its savior and rescue it. See, Jesus didn't come into this world to judge everyone, tell them what terrible, rotten people that they were. No, he came to rescue and save people. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Now if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. See that when, when we come into a relationship with Christ, that old life is gone, the things that defined us are gone, the mistakes that we've made, even our successes, none of that matters. Matter of fact, the things that we think about ourselves, the things that other people say, this verse is telling us that it's all new. The old is gone. And finally, in Colossians 3, 10 and 11, it says this, for you have acquired new creation life, which continually being renewed into the likeness of the one who created you giving you the full revelation of God. In this new creation in life, your nationality makes no difference, your ethnicity, your education, your economic status, they matter nothing. For it is Christ that means everything as he lives in every one of us. Just another assurance that it has nothing to do with what we have done. It doesn't matter if you feel like Mephibosheth and you're like, my family tree is jacked up. It doesn't matter if you're saying that I'm broken and it doesn't seem like I have what it takes. God's probably looking for somebody else who isn't as messed up as I am. We can be reassured that when we come to a relationship with Jesus, it is not about us. It is not about us, friends. It is simply about who Jesus is and what he has done in our lives. Matthew 18, 11 says this, the son of man has come to seek and save that which is lost. So what is lost? Is it just lost people? No, it is what is lost. Everything is lost. When sin entered the world, everything became tainted by that sin and Jesus came in to save and change the world and save that which is lost. So as we're talking about sitting around the table today, you, you may come to the table for the food, but you stick around for the environment. If you don't believe me, if you've ever been to a restaurant that has like a terrible environment, does it matter how good the food is? I mean, if the service is terrible and the place is filthy and you're pretty sure you just saw something crawl across the floor, I mean, it doesn't matter how delicious that meal is. I mean, you're done, right? You're gone. If the environment is just terrible, it smells, it's loud, you don't want to be there, you don't want to hang out, you can't have a conversation, you are not going to stick around because the environment is so important. But what you've got to understand is that there is no obstacle that comes when you come to your family's table, right? 
right? There's, there's no obstacle there. You don't have to be like, well, if I earn a place, I can come sit at the table today, right? No, no one in a healthy family, no one has to earn a spot at the dinner table, do they? I mean, it's not like, well, Johnny, your grades weren't good enough this week, so we're just going to have to cut out dinner, go to your room and starve. I mean, no, no, no healthy family or parent does that, right? Some of you are like thinking, like, that might actually work. <laughs> no, cut off the Wi-Fi, not the food, right? And so it's something we've got to understand. It's not any merit that we've done. It's just you're part of the family. And because you're part of the family, you have a place at the table. Someone else had to make a sacrifice for that place at the table, right? But it just because they made that sacrifice doesn't mean that you don't earn it. You can't come to it. No, your family, you have a spot at that table. And so what we've got to understand is that that is the same way that God sees us. As his family, we have a spot at that table. We've got to understand, friends, this is that the environment is critical. The environment is critical. It doesn't matter how good the food is. It doesn't matter who's sitting around the table. The environment is critical. Matter of fact, I would say, go further and say this, that the environment, it has to be intentional. It must be intentional. That if we're not intentional to set the environment for us as a church, and this is why we work so hard every week to create an environment here for us to come and worship God. It's why people show up three hours early before service every single week to create an environment so that we can have a place for our kids to come and learn at their level and hear about God and sing songs and have room to run around and roll around and have fun and play together because the environment is so critical. It's why we take time and set up hospitality and make places for you to get caffeinated and have drinks and have some refreshments and goodies, right? Because the environment's so important. It's why it's so important that we have an environment and we're intentional in creating a space for us to worship and encounter God. And even beyond the physical space, that there are people who put the time and an effort and create an environment for us to worship and encounter and experience God. It's why we have small group ministries in their own environment that we work hard to create a place where people feel safe, that they can open up, that they can share, that they can be honest. Friends, the environment is so critical, but you've got to understand that the environment, it has to be an intentional. The environment is my responsibility. See, as Christ followers, those of us who have said yes to Jesus, what we've got to understand is that the environment is not someone else's responsibility. The environment is my responsibility. See, I worked with teenagers and students for years, and I, we would raise up student leaders who we would teach them how to do ministry and how we would have them own the ministry and say, we're not showing up here as adults to create a ministry for you as teenagers. We want you to do ministry to your peers and friends. And something we would teach them all the time about the environment is that you can be one of two things. You can make the choice to be either a thermostat or you can be a thermometer. And see, what's a thermometer? A thermometer just reports the temperature, right? The thermometer tells you it's 60 degrees in here. Well, great. What are we supposed to do with that? What's the difference? A thermostat will say, hey, it's 60 degrees in here, but it probably should be 68, so let's get this heat cranked up. See, the difference between being a thermostat and a thermometer, anyone can recognize the environment. Anyone can come in and say, this is a terrible environment or this is a terrible restaurant, but it takes somebody to come in and say, you know what, I'm going to do something about it. Yes, I see there's an issue here. How can I meet a need and change the environment? How can I be intentional? I love what Romans 10, 14 tells us, that how will people know that there is a God who loves them? How will they hear the good news of who Jesus is unless what? Unless someone goes and tells them. See, friends, the environment is our responsibility. And then finally, there is no environment unless I give. See, just like sitting around the table for as a family and there's a space for our family, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, there's a spot for you, Right? 
but it did require someone's sacrifice. Someone had to work. Someone had to provide. Someone had to prepare that food. And it's the same thing for us as a church. Friends, that our generosity, our giving creates an environment. We didn't just simply start a new church because we were bored and we thought it'd be really fun to go start a brand new church in Pittsburgh. No, it's because we recognize that there are so many people. Do you know in the Pittsburgh statistical area alone, there are over one million people who claim to have no religious affiliation whatsoever. And on top of that, there are hundreds of thousands of more who would say that they're a Christian, but they are not active in their faith. They haven't been to church in years. They're not following God. They're not serving. They're not involved in any way. Friends, the opportunity is immense before us to reach people who are far from God. You see, God is looking for some people who are saying, you know what? It's great to come and sit around the table together, but maybe God's looking for some people, and that's why we started Treeline to come around a table and say this table is not just for us, but that we want to do our part to create a larger table for people to come around who are far from him. And friends, there can no be no environment if people aren't generous and give. See, the struggle and the tension really come when we talk about creating the environment for people who are lost, people who are marginalized, people who are broken, it becomes this tension because many times when we as Christ followers, it becomes like those things we were talking about sitting at the table with pretty women. See, we, we get it and we get comfortable with it, right? And we like our certain songs that we like and the things that we you know and all those things. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that tension comes when we think about not just the people, not just ourselves in our own seat at the table. And be assured there's one for you. It's when we become aware of the other people around us in our community in our neighborhoods, in our school, in our workplace, who maybe feel a little bit like Mephibosheth and feel like they have no seat at this table, who need to know that there's a God that loves them, that has a plan for their life. See, friends, to reach the ones that no one is reaching, we'll have to do what no one is doing. Did you catch that? To reach the ones that no one is reaching, we as a church, as Treeline, and we as individuals are going to have to do some things that no one is doing. And honestly, friends, this starts with giving. This starts with giving. And I know giving can be those things we talked about this last week. It could be one of those things that are just like, man, I don't know. Church is just all about money. They just want my checkbook. They want my wallet. And I can't tell you, for us as Treeline, nothing could be further from the truth. I said it before and I'll say it again. We don't want something from you. We want something for you. And we want all that God has for you. And understanding that our giving and generosity is just simply one more way we are trusting God with every area and aspect of our lives. And when we understand and begin to connect beyond that, and you understand that you had a space at this table. And I don't know what your story looked like, but does, I love sitting down with people and getting to hear their Jesus story. You know what I'm talking about? Like hear their story of how they truly came to understand that God loved him, that God had a plan for life. Like not just like I know who God is and I know about that church thing, but like when did that switch flip that you actually knew who Jesus was and that your life was changed and transformed and you were no longer bound by your old life? I love hearing people's stories like that. 
But see, here's what we've got to understand as individuals and as a church, that had somebody not gave, had somebody not been generous, had somebody not been intentional about setting an environment, I don't know where that was for you. Maybe it was another church service. Maybe it was in a Sunday school. Maybe it was in someone's home. I don't know where it was, but somebody was intentional about giving and creating an environment so that you and so that I could experience God in a real way. And friends, now it is our responsibility because of what God has done for us to continue to build his kingdom and reach those who are far from him. See, it might sound foolish or too simply put, but the reason that we give is so the love of God can be heard, so it can be seen, and so it can be felt. Take a look at what it says in John 13, 34, and 35, and the band's gonna come up as we conclude today. John 13, 34, 35 says, So I give you now a new commandment. Love each other just as much as I have loved you. For when you demonstrate the same love that I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know that you are my true followers. See, friends, sometimes we, we get all mixed up in this because it feels like, well, to really people to know who God is, that we've got to have all the answers, Right? We think it's like, I've got to have strong enough theology. I've got to be able to answer all the questions about the Bible. And if there's anything that I'm not sure about, then I can't possibly tell people about who God is. See, God didn't, Jesus didn't say that people would know that we were his followers because we have all the answers. He didn't say that you would know that you're my followers because they've got all of their act together and they've got everything put together and their life's great and they're perfect. They should be wearing a cape and flying around a super Christian. That's not what he said. He simply said that people would know that you are my followers. How? By your love for each other. By your love for each other. This is how people will know you are my true followers. Friends, we have an opportunity as a church. Yeah, we're a brand new church. Yeah, we've faced some big struggles, uphill battles, and we know this isn't easy. I mean, you have to have a little bit of crazy in you to start a church and get involved with a church plant because it is not easy. It is not comfortable. Matter of fact, when Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me, I'm pretty sure he was addressing that to future church plans because it is hard. It is not comfortable. But why do we do it? Because our heart is moved because of what God has done for us that we want to create a larger table. And friends, we have a choice as Christ followers. We can be an obstacle or we can be a conduit. And my prayer for you today is that you would choose to be a conduit so that those who are far from him can experience him. See, friends, as we close today, it's not just about a table, but it's about a new home. It's not just about food, it's about a new life. It's not simply about a meal, it's about a new family. See, friends, when we understand that the table that we are creating, the environment that we are setting, the things that we are doing are just simply an opportunity to be able to position people to experience and encounter the love of God. We can't force people to come to the table. We can't force people to experience freedom that comes in a God in relationship with him just as much as you can't force feed your kids that broccoli, right? My kids like broccoli. They're weird, but anyway. We can't force people to experience this table, but what we can do is do the best that we can do as a church to create a bigger table, to create opportunities for people to come. 
and we can give and be generous and create an opportunity for people to experience an environment where they have the best opportunity to experience that God loves them and is for them. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, God, that you love us and that you care about us. God, we thank you that there was somebody, and maybe we know who it is, and maybe we will never know on this side of eternity. God, we thank you for the people who came before us, who loved you enough that they were generous to give, to create an environment where we could come and experience you, to come and encounter you, to know you, to have a seat at this table. God, I pray today that we would do the same, God, that we would step out, that we would be generous, that we would give, Lord, so that those who are far from you can encounter and experience you. God, I pray for those today who may be be here and still carrying around that baggage just like Mephibosheth did, saying he's broken, he doesn't deserve it, his family tree is too messed up, God, sometimes if we're honest, it's frightening how much we feel like that. God, I just pray today for every single person in this room, every single person watching, every person listening, God. And God, I pray, God, they would begin to see themselves the way that you see them. You say, you know what? Your family tree is messed up. Yeah, you are broken. But just like David restored everything back to Mephibosheth, there's a God who wants to restore it back to you. And he's not daunted. He's not intimidated. He's not put off by your past. He loves you. And desperately wants you at his table. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be generous as a church. God, help us to build a bigger table for those who need to encounter and experience you in a real way. Today, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I just want to give you an opportunity. If you've never said yes to relationship with Jesus, if you've never truly surrendered your life to him, understanding that it's not about what we've done, it's not about our good behavior, it's not about appearing a certain way or having the right language or saying the right things or doing the right stuff, it's simply a free gift that God has given us through his son, Jesus, who has made a way, who's paid the price for our mistakes, for our past, for our failures. So maybe you're here today and you've never said yes to a relationship with Jesus. We want to give you the opportunity to make the best decision you could ever make because there's a seat for you at this table. Maybe you're here today and at one point you invited Christ into your life. Maybe at one point you were following after him, you were living for him, and I don't know what happened. Maybe life just got busy. Maybe there was some hurt involved. Friends, it doesn't matter what the reason is. What you have to know is that God has always had a seat for you at his table. And maybe today your step is just simply to say, God, I need to recommit my life. I need to lay this all down. I need to stop trying to do this on my own. If that's you today in either one of those categories, while no one's looking around, just gonna ask you to raise your hand. You're saying, Brian, include me in that prayer for the first time or recommitting my life. Just raise your hand, awesome. We're gonna pray together so that no one has to pray alone. Just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Come into my heart. Make me new. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you all of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we cheer for those who made a decision to come to Christ today? 
Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at treeline.church or on social media. Our mission is to see family trees change by a lifelong relationship with Jesus. We hope you can listen or join us next week.